episode 36, Patrick speaks with Dr. Lewis Johnson, Chief Scientific Officer of NLM Photonics. Among other topics, the team discuss photonics, electro-optic conversion, computational chemistry, and the quantum internet. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Welcome, everybody, to Entangled Things. Uh, Cyprian can't be here today, so I'll say hello to him over the podcast instead of in person. Today, we're joined by Dr. Lewis Johnson. Uh, Lewis, can you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me on today. I'm Lewis Johnson. I am currently Chief Scientific Officer of NLM Photonics, which is a startup in Seattle. It's a spin-out company from the University of Washington, where I also did my PhD in chemistry and nanotechnology. Before, yeah, before I was at NLM Photonics, I did postdoctoral work at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. And before that, I taught at Pomona College, which is also my undergraduate alma mater. Very, very cool. Um, so you, you're in a very interesting field. You, you are dealing with the, the photonic side of things, which for those that don't understand that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, doesn't matter what modality a quantum computer is dealing with, when it tries to communicate to anything, it's going to be using photonic. Is that correct? In many cases. So for a... A superconducting quantum computer communication can be done by RF links, but if the communication is over long distances and you know, coherence of states needs to be maintained, photo- photonics become necessary. And then also for many other quantum computing modalities, whether that's squeezed states, trapped ions, there's Photonics are very intimately involved, whether in using photons to form the qubits themselves, like in squeezed states, or in using lasers to manipulate the qubits and creating entangled states, for example, in trapped ion-based quantum computing. Okay. So it, it's, it's part of the, a major thing that we need to solve in order to get uh, anywhere close to what classical computing yeah. we take for granted. Um, what is your main interest in in photonics? Are you, are you uh, trying to what what are you what are you guys trying to accomplish? So my primary focus in photonics is in electro optic conversion. So this is the ability to transform a signal from the electronic domain, for example, dig, digital data or RF, or in the case of quantum, a a qubit to a optical carrier very efficiently. Mm-hmm. And electro- so electro-optic conversion can be done through a couple of different approaches, generally involving shifting either the phase or the amplitude of an optical carrier in response to a voltage. And... One of the main physical methods that's used behind this is called the Pockels effect, which is a nonlinear optical effect, so effect with multiple photons interacting, in which 
an RF which an RF signal causes a shift in the refractive index of a material, slowing light down compared to the unperturbed material in the region that's subject to the applied voltage. Hmm. So, example, if you have two waveguides and a beam of light is split evenly between those two waveguides and one waveguide receives a signal in positive polarity, another one receives a signal in negative polarity, as you know, that was zeros and ones of digital data or an RF waveform hits those electrodes, the light in one arm of the phase shifter is slowed down versus the other arm. And if that phase delay is equal to half the wavelength of the light, that causes complete destructive interference, and you can have digital switching. Of course, for analog signals, you don't necessarily need to go all the way to that, but it's generally used as a representation of the efficiency of such devices. So is Pockel's effect materials are second-order nonlinear optical materials, and this means that they have to be eccentrically ordered. So containing molecules with their dipole moments are all lined up, so they are facing roughly in a single direction. So the individual molecular contributions of each molecule's optical nonlinearity add with each other. And if they were just isotropically arranged, the individual molecular effects would cancel and the material would not have any sort of net Pockels effect. So you're you're doing destructive and constructive interference on the wire, basically. Yeah, so this would be within an optical waveguide that is then connected to wires. At this point, essentially, quantum computers have been discrete systems that are connected by the classical internet and interfaced with more conventional software, conventional network protocols, and are quantum just within, you know, just within the machine itself. One of the biggest issues with long distance connections is loss and the other one is routing because once the signal is converted from an electronic signal to a photonic signal if that's needed or once a photonic signal exits a a photonic based system the the qubits have to maintain entanglement over a much larger region than within a single system but as that photonic signal is passing through a fiber it's you know, very slowly losing photon count with the risk of loss of coherence. But the main issue is if you just had a you know, directly connected fiber, you'd be, you'd be in pretty good shape, but you have to route the signal somewhere. So each time you route the signal, you know, there's a conversion back to electronic or passing through an optical switch and each of those conversions are lossy. You know, whether that is going through an optical modulator that absorbs some of the light, whether that's going through a photodetector and being converted to electronic and then retransmitted or whatever. But each of those steps where there is loss or where there is a conversion between modalities 
has a chance of disrupting the coherence of the system. So for an effective quantum internet, we would need to be able to route optical signals almost transparently to avoid disrupting state coherence. And at this point, this is a very active area of R&D, but we're certainly not there yet. This is something that's a reoccurring topic because yeah. Cyprian's an MI, um, a machine learning guy, but computers can't, you know, we take for granted IO um, from our classical computer. The fact that I can mm-hmm. read a file, that I can receive packets of data, mm-hmm. but you're building this from its infancy. You're, you can't just take that model of, oh, I'm going to read these, this terabyte of mm-hmm. data into this quantum computer that doesn't yeah. exist yet. So the, one of the things that I think is lost on a lot of people is it's not only making sure the the data gets out of the quantum computer, which is difficult, you've already said. It's not just getting it down the wire, which is difficult because of the loss. Yeah. It's getting it into the next computer so that it understands it, yeah. so that it can it, it hasn't been destroyed. It's like it, it's like an egg race on steroids. I've got the egg on the end of a spoon and I have to not drop it. Um and and we're we're dan- how many angels can dance on the head of a yeah. pin is is what it seems like. So yeah, but that yeah, I mean that that's that egg race is a great is a great way of putting it. I'm glad you like I'm, analogies yeah. is my specialty. <laughs> but so so what is exciting to you about recent developments in this field? Because this is a field that's fairly opaque to most people. Um, most people don't realize that we're you're fighting these battles. Um, but these are the battles that are going to decide when quantum computing jumps ahead and leaves its infancy and gets into its maturity. So what are the things that have happened recently, whether it's discovered by you and your company or by others that, that have you kind of excited about the, the way forward? So there's a couple things that have really excited me recently. And the first of those is the potential for room temperature quantum computing. Wow. And this is something that companies like Xanadu Computing in Toronto are working on, where instead of using superconducting states or trapped ions that require ultra-cold temperatures, each qubit is composed of a squeezed state of photons. So this is taking an optical mode and confining it in a manner that biases the probability distribution of that mode into a particular region more than would be seen in an unperturbed mode. Hence, squeezing of those optical modes to form qubits. And since these are photons passing through silicon waveguides and relatively weakly interacting, they do not require ultra-cold temperatures. And they're manipulated using performing entangled states and performing operations using electro-optic modulators or thermo-optic phase shifters. The challenge there is just as with the quantum transmission question from before, is loss. Right. Is each of those transformations involves losing some photon count. Each qubit right now requires many photons. And you know, such you know, probabilistic. Di- you know, distribution thereof. And currently only a few qubits can be linked, but they can operate at room temperature. 
if those losses can be brought down further, that would enable fan out to complex systems that could be run at room temperature and integrated much more intimately with classical computers. I've heard that before, that that photonics yeah. lends itself to classical temperatures instead of millikelvin temperatures. And and it's one of the reasons that it's it's a major contender for the space. Yeah. Uh, I guess that means that, you know, heat, you're not worried about a degree of heat uh, ruining your state, uh, but you probably have other, it's the loss that's really your error, your source of errors and your source of, um, yeah. there's always something that bedevils you, right? There's always something in no matter what modality yeah. you have. Um, that sounds very exciting. I, I never heard of this company, yeah. uh, but we'll definitely have to check them out. Um Anything else that's that's happening in in the in, lately that that you uh, that you think is a bright shining light in, in in the space? Yeah. So one of the other things that's really excited me has to do with applications in computational chemistry, and this will likely be one of the early test cases for a task that involves some classically very difficult methods but where quantum supremacy could be demonstrated relatively readily hmm. with a with, with a sufficient qubit count. So one of the problems that I, that I was working on as a postdoc involved looking at developing bio-inspired catalysts based on the enzyme nitrogenase for taking nitrogen and hydrogen and forming ammonia. Right now, industrially, this is something that's done through the Haber-Bosch process requiring high temperatures, high pressures, and I think about 2% of global primary energy production for one of our most important industrial feedstocks. But a certain soil bacteria have an enzyme that can do this process at ambient pressure wow. and room temperature. So, you know, we'd like to be able to make industrial processes that can work at much, much lower temperature and pressures and save, and save energy. Yes. But doing that requires understanding what allows some of these bacterial enzymes to work so efficiently. And the, the active sites in these are, are typically transition metal clusters for example, in nitrogenase, iron sulfur clusters in an iron sulfur molybdenum based cluster. And since these are composed of multiple transition metals, they have many different low lying quantum states and are very difficult to model using classical methods. So, for a, a typical you know, classical computation of a quantum chemistry problem, mm -hmm. you start with a series of assumptions. You first assume that, you know, say, for example, that the atoms move much slower than the electrons surrounding them, or the Born-Oppenheimer approximation. Then assume that you can form your wave function of your system out of the orbitals from atoms, so linear combination of atomic orbitals, then, you know, and then, for example, assume that each electron is independent and operating within the mean field of all of the other electrons, or the Hartree-Fock approximation, mm -hmm. and then mix multiple different configurations 
within that approximation to simulate the interactions between those electrons and between different states. And net result of this is you have something that's between a an n cubed to n factorial classical compute problem. Dependent. We've brought up this this process many times in the podcast. Yeah. I believe that if when this is solved, it'll save over a billion barrels of oil a year, as you've put it. Yeah. Um, when this is solved, it will make headlines worldwide. Everyone will know yeah. that classical computing has reached its 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 adolescence, if not its maturity, because we'll have be solving real world problems that affect everybody. But but you, what what I really appreciate is that you've broken it down to what the actual what what actually is hard about it. Um, one of the analogies that I've used over and over again, and hopefully you'll like it as much as the egg uh, on the spoon analogy, is with classical computing, doing simulation of molecules is like um, trying to identify a suspect in Times Square with a stick figure drawing. It's not going to work very well, and it's very you know it's very rudimentary. But with qubits, you can model a single electron with a single qubit, and so it scales correctly, and so. The fact that you've dug into this process, do you have any idea of how long it might be? And I know this is a wild guess, but are we still 10 years away from solving this problem potentially? So, or are the quantum computers going to allow us to solve it this decade? I think there's a there's a good chance for this problem that we'll see quantum solutions this decade. And that this this has been a, a very active area of research. That's amazing. And I mean and as you as you mentioned, has huge implications. And like for the example that that nitrogenase problem, several of my colleagues at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, including my, my postdoc advisor, Dr. Simone Roger, and Dr. Brianna Ganovska, and some other colleagues, have been working on not only addressing this problem classically, but also working with Microsoft on quantum approaches to the nitrogenase problem. Wow. Yeah, this is maybe I'm wrong, but I think if you solve a problem that saves two percent of the of the uh, burn the burn of energy for the human race every year, that's a, that's worth headlines. That's going to get everybody's attention. Um, and what we're ha- trying to do with this podcast is get as many people ahead of that curve, uh, because when the world turns its attention to this, then th- there's going to be so much more research and funding and and uh, I mean, right now there's a is a big heyday. Are you finding that um, the the interest in your work is 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 rising exponentially? I would think that uh, mm-hmm. given compared to a few years ago when qubits were measured in you know I could count them on my fingers. Yeah. Now we're talking about people like IBM releasing hundred plus qubit chips. Is the excitement growing as well for your for your work? Yeah. So the excitement of, around quantum has definitely been growing exponentially over the last few years. I mean, even five years ago, is interacting with some colleagues then, saying, okay, maybe this is another wave of the quantum fad or you know, something we're poking at. But it's really been taking off with, this, with, the, le- with the level of commercialization and the level of both academic and mass media attention. And similar things been happening with photonics. Mm. is, I mean, photonics has gone through a few waves before, and for 
example, electro-optic conversion, of course, forms the backbone of the long-haul internet and fiber and and data centers. And where there was first a a wave with that, a lot of interest in photonics was going to expand into more aspects of compute. Wave died down. And then there's been a whole other wave with silicon photonics and hybrid technologies beyond silicon photonics that have a lot of implications at the chip scale including for quantum, whether that is photonics-based quantum mm-hmm. or attempting to develop low-loss transmission and routing schemes for the, you know, for the quantum internet, whether that's you know, ultra-stable lasers, ultra-low-noise photodetectors, or very low-loss modulators. So uh, in, the, in, the, in the theme of low-loss photonics, uh, we talked to um, a gentleman from BT, British Telecom, and he was talking about the fact that they've developed hollow core um, fiber optic cables that seem to be basically the idea is that the, the inside of the of the cable is empty, and that's where the photons run, and they run into the mirrored sides, so that they they believe that it'll really reduce the loss. Have you heard of that, or is that something that you think has promise in in helping with the loss? So instead of using a cord clad with a di- with, that have different indices, this is just using a a cladding and then a hollow core, so in, you know index of one inside. Of, am I correct? I believe so. I I, I mean I, I'll admit that he yeah. he didn't get into this the, the specific details, but I thought it was interesting that yeah. uh, it might be a big innovation um, in loss. He seemed to think so. Of course, there's still going to be defects in the the mirroring and inside the core. Yeah. Uh, but if the photons are traveling in an empty core, yeah, then perhaps that's um, that's going to help with the loss thing. It, it, it may be a very new yeah. development. And yeah, it's it's not something I'd heard of, that I, that I'd heard of before. But I do think that it you know is something that could have some promise, and I'll I'll certainly check it out afterwards. I'd love it if we cross pollinated a little bit amongst our guests. That would be um, yeah. that would be awesome. Um. So, so we've come up to, you know, uh, near the end, we're not at the end yet, but is there anything else that you'd like to discuss or talk about, uh, before we, we have to unfortunately run out of time, um, any other topics or, or, or specific points that you'd like to make sure we make? Mm -hmm. This has been great so far. We've covered quite a lot of what we set out to. We had an ambitious schedule on this call, yeah. And I do appreciate you you laying down, you know, what you wanted to talk about ahead of time. Um, but uh, it's been very interesting. Yeah. In, any specific work that you're you're uh, coming up with, or or things that you want to challenges you plan on taking on in the next year or so that you wanted to highlight, or should we start wrapping up? Yeah. So so the big challenge of the next year is going to be scaling. NLM photonics to, you know, having our first co-developed commercial products out up out on the market. Oh, wow. And we have right now one partnership that's related to high-speed modulators with another startup that's already sampling. And we have some co-development work going on looking to make very low loss, very low voltage modulators as an as an initial product to prove out the technology mm-hmm. for integration into broader silicon photonics platforms. And you know, initial results have been looking very good. So we're 
you know, juggling the fundraising and the science. And I think we have some exciting times ahead. Excellent. So we have a page where your episode will be on. All of our presenters, most of our, our, our listeners would know this. Um, so we have a page set for you. If you could uh, provide us the links to those um, endeavors, we'd be happy to uh, help people find them. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, we can get to solving these big problems because I think a lot of a lot of the people are going to be caught by surprise at how big an impact quantum computing is going to have on their lives in just the next decade. And and we appreciate the fact that you're you're trying to push those frontiers as fast as possible. So thanks, thanks a lot, Doctor Doctor Jones. Yeah. Yeah, you're very welcome, and thank yeah, thanks again for having me on today. Thanks, and we'll hopefully we'll see you again soon. All right, sounds good. Thank you.